It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. It's true. It's all true. Welcome to the show. What's going on? <laughs> Hope you're doing well. I um, want to thank patrons of the program, as we always do at the beginning of each show. Thank you to patrons like Gregory, Ann, Tammy, Ben, Rick, Lori, Ray, David, Becky, John, Lisa, and Jim. Couldn't do the show without you guys. They became patrons. You can as well. Just go to the Pete Callender Show. Dot com. There's a link at the top of the page there. You click that, it takes you to Patreon, and then you become a patron. And then you get exclusive content, and you get the bumper stickers. So uh, thank you to them. And also, um, you can subscribe at thepetecalendarshow.com as well. It's free, totally free, and then you don't even have to worry about you know coming to any websites or anything. It just automatically goes to your phone or tablet, and then you can listen at your own leisure. Or leisure, if that's how you roll, whatever. Now, if you are in the Carolinas and the Southeast in general, probably not doing a lot of rolling right now because of all of the gas problems, gas shortages. As of the recording of the podcast here, about three-quarters of the Raleigh metro area, about 71% of the Charlotte metro area, gas stations all without gas. So uh, this is going to get worse, I think, over the next day or two before it gets better um this is all due to supposedly reportedly a computer hack and so i guess here we are this is the future that was predicted some years ago that you know these types of um hacking attacks would uh become the norm and i guess here we are so there is a group that has claimed responsibility for it the hacker group responsible is called dark side and um they want you to know they're to- they're sorry. They totally didn't mean to create this kind of uh, commotion, this calamity, this social impact. Um, so they put out a statement. They're like, "Dude, we're just in it for the money." So yeah, they. I'm not kidding. They put out a statement. It crippled the Colonial Pipeline. And if you've been in the Southeast for, I don't know, any extended period of time, you've heard of this pipeline. It runs from, you know, the Gulf Coast. It pumps all of this. Uh, this gas, or <clears throat> I should say the, the well, gasoline, but, you know, oil, whatever, it's an oil pipeline, and sends it from the refineries all the way through uh, the southeast and into the Charlotte area, and uh, it's a major pipeline. It is like, I think there are two of them, if I remember correctly, and the Colonial um, was targeted. This Colonial pipeline was targeted by this hacker attack, And the group says uh, their goal was not in, quote, creating problems for society, but to make money. So, see, it's totally different. This is okay. The pipeline, which stretches more than 5,500 miles and carries 45% of the East Coast's supply of diesel, petrol, and jet fuel, was taken offline over the weekend, prompting the Biden administration to issue an emergency declaration on Sunday. The company was forced to make IT system or to take the IT systems offline and to shut down operations on Friday. As it announced, it had hired a third-party cybersecurity firm to investigate the targeted ransomware attack. This is the story by Samantha Locke at Newsweek. The company, um, or sorry, the hacker group, issued an unusual apology for the attack the same day that the FBI confirmed that Darkside ransomware was responsible. 
The dark side group says that it would, uh, quote, introduce moderation in the future to, quote, avoid social consequences and insisted that it was entirely a profit driven organization. It's apolitical. Um, and they said, quote, we do not participate in geopolitics. You do not need to tie us with a defined government <clears throat> like Russia <clears throat> and look for our motives. Our goal is to make money and not creating problems for society. From today, we introduce moderation and check each company that partners uh, want to encrypt to avoid social consequences in the future. I'm not buying it. I don't believe that in a nation like Russia, uh, that a, a hacker organization like this gets free reign to operate and the Russian government has no uh, role or influence or... Uh, authority. I, I don't believe it. <clears throat> and I think this apology is meant to provide cover for the Russian official uh, connections. Just my guess. What do I know? Just a podcaster. Um, but it's kind of weird that this hacker group would put that out there. And it is a it's a it's for hire. You can hire this company to go out and uh, launch a cyber attack against an organization and then I guess, share in the, the revenue from it or something. Biden, the president, uh, President Biden said that although uh, the U.S. intelligence has found no evidence to link the attack with the Russian government, he believed the country had, quote, some responsibility to deal with the issue, since some evidence does indicate that the ransomware may have originated in Russia. A number of cybersecurity researchers, including firms contacted by BBC News, have also speculated that the cybercriminal gang could be Russian, as their new software avoids encrypting any computer systems where the language is set as Russian. <laughs> no way. So they're purposely avoiding all systems like they have it in their in their code that they don't attack systems that are programmed in Russian. So weird. Why would they do that? It's almost like, I don't know, it's like, I don't know, allegiance or something. Or maybe somebody told them don't don't do that. It's just like a, it's a fail safe. Like just in general, you never want to program anything in Russia. So obviously the answer here is everybody has to learn Russian and then learn to code in Russian. And that will protect you <laughs> from, <laughs> from these hacks. Um, this is do 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 story. Where did I get this one? Oh, citizen times after the operator of one of the nation's largest fuel pipelines uh, endured the ransomware attack. Uh, people rush to snap up gas. That's and that's what's driving this. It's the panic that um, that there's going to be no gas, and that then becomes the self fulfilling prophecy that now there is no gas. And you got all of the government officials like, now remember everybody, you know, make sure you report any price gouging. And so people are filling up, you know, huge uh, tanks filled with gasoline, and of course creating the very run on the gas stations. That we are told they were trying to avoid, the government was trying to avoid. And I've said this before, um, there is no such thing as price gouging. There isn't. You're either rationing by access or by price. They're just prices. It's not gouging, it's prices. Now, you may, as, this, uh, as the buyer, you may think that you're being gouged, that you're paying too much for something. And that may be true when compared to like what the price was prior, but... Uh, no, it, it it's not gouging. It's a way to ration access or uh, ration the, the goods rather than rationing access. Because what do you have? Some gas stations, they ration by access and they say, you can only get five gallons and they cut the pumps off at five gallons. And then what do the people do? 
right? They go over to another gas station and they'll get the five gallons there and then they go to another one, they get five gallons there and they just bounce around. See, so there are ways around that system too. So what about the person who's like, I really need, you know, two gallons of gas so I can get to work. I can't find any gas though because it's all been, uh, it's all been bought up. Do you think that maybe they would have paid 20 bucks a gallon? Right? I just need two. See, people would self-limit like that. People would say, I don't need to fill the whole tank up, and so I will just pay for you know, a few gallons. But here's the thing. I get access to at least a few gallons. Well, but Pete, the rich people could buy up all of the gas. Do rich people use that much gas? Are they... <laughs> Like, seriously, like, I'm wondering, like, are these rich people, they're just going to, what, sit in line at a gas station and just buy up all the gas at the gas station or something? Is that how that, <clears throat> I, I don't, I don't know. So what? Instead, you've got people who, who aren't rich and they don't have anything to do but sit in a line at multiple gas stations and fill up multiple gas tanks. So is that any better? See, again, everybody's trying to, like, prevent the other guy from acting like a jerk. That's what always goes on in these situations. And so as long as you know, it's always the other guy. Like, I need all of this gas. I need all of this toilet paper. I need all these paper towels and cleaning products at the beginning of the pandemic. I need all of this stuff. It's the other people. They don't. Right? <laughs> Those other people. They're the ones who are hoarding and gouging and all of that. Um, experts say don't panic. Too late. They say current shortages are driven by people rushing to buy gas. And uh, the reserves were still full as of yesterday. And so uh, I've seen it also described as a uh, transportation, a delivery problem now more so. We just don't have enough trucks to get the fuel from the reserve tanks to some of the gas stations. So that's part of the problem as well. This dark side group, this ransomware as a service, that's what they call themselves. They call their own operations ransomware as a service. And... They, when they started up, they actually issued a press release touting their services. I'm not kidding. I'll tell you what that's uh, about in a minute. First, I'm going to tell you about General Equipment Rental, uh, because if you are looking to do a project at your house or maybe you're a contractor and you don't have the right tool for the job, right? That's not a good situation uh, to be in. You need the right tool to finish the job and finish it correctly. Uh, otherwise, you know, you're going to have to go back and read it. Look, I've been that person. I've been the person who did not use the correct tool. And I end up going back and forth to the big box store, repurchasing items and materials because I messed up because I wasn't using the right tool. So don't let that be you. Um, get the right tool at General Equipment Rental. And they've got tons of outdoor, you know, yard equipment and the like. Um, they're your official licensed Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment sales and service provider so they've got all sorts of stuff you know commercial and residential grade they've got blowers they've got uh, hedge clippers mowers trimmers chainsaws you can rent all sorts of equipment from them uh you know as well you got the tillers and generators and like massive pieces of equipment and smaller power tools as well so uh go check them out online generalrents.com that's generalrents.com uh, you can also go into their store. They are located conveniently in Weaverville at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road. Super huge parking lot to park in. Uh, so if you got the big truck, you know, the work truck there, don't worry about it. And uh, tell them you heard it here on the podcast. I appreciate that. General Equipment Rental, generalrents.com, and think outside your toolbox. So this uh, dark side group literally calls its operations ransomware as a service or R A A S. 
for short, because you got to have a good acronym, you know, in marketing. Um, this is a piece by Daniel Tenrero, 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 I, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. That He's at the National Review. Anyway, um, he has their initial press release, their initial statement from when they launched, and it says, quote, we are a new product on the market, but that does not mean that we have no experience and we came from nowhere. We received millions of dollars profit by partnering with our well-known crypto lockers. We created DarkSide because we didn't find the perfect product for us. Now we have it. <laughs> this is amazing. Like, they, like what they're doing is a completely legitimate, you know, kind of business, right? They're acting like that. They're, they, they focus on, they say, big game attacks that yield maximal revenue from businesses that can afford to take the hit. They claim to perform careful financial analysis to determine how much you can pay based on your net income, saying, quote, we don't want to kill your business. That's nice. Isn't that? Well, I mean, that's the way that is really the way you shake people down and businesses down, right? You you don't put them out of business because then they're not going to be good earners for you, you know, in the future. Um, they also boast best-in-class customer service. Quote, you can ask all your questions in the chat before paying, and our support will answer them. Oh, isn't that helpful? <laughs> DarkSide does not limit itself to for-profit pursuits either. In October 2020, the group announced a $20,000 donation to Children International and the Water Project, two U.S.-based charities, uh, who immediately said they would not accept the money, they would return the money, but... I don't really know how you do that, he says, because it came in the form of Bitcoin, and that's untraceable. The next month, DarkSide announced the creation of a sustainable data center in Iran. <laughs> that, too, did not go as planned. However, ransomware recovery firms, which help companies respond to these kinds of hacks, had to halt any payments to DarkSide for fear of funding a state sponsor of terror. Yeah, whoops. If you're going to shake these uh, these organizations down and then they do pay you, right, if they do pay to have all of their systems unlocked, um, they would run afoul of U.S. law, international law, because it's going to... Iran. It's going to some organization inside of Iran, and as such, that would raise all sorts of flags that you're funding this international terror state, and uh, yeah, so now they can't pay it. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Although, hey, the facility that they built in Iran was sustainable, so... Yeah, have you, and you know, you understand what kind of attacks these are, right? Th this is, you know, where you open up the computer, and it's like, you know, some big thing, you know, uh, pops up on the screen and says you can't access anything. Everything is locked out, and they give you a an account, and you have to put Bitcoin in it by a certain day. And if they you don't do it, then they destroy all of your records. And so that's what they did to Colonial Pipeline. Which, by the way, I've seen people point this out as well, and it's hard to argue with the logic. Which is, if they could do this to a pipeline, why can't they do it to computer systems that run elections? Seriously, are you telling me that the election systems are unhackable in a way that? the colonial pipeline systems were, and maybe that's the case. Look, I don't know. I'm not a computer expert, not a cybersecurity expert. It just stands to reason, though, that like, if you can hack one system, you can probably hack these others. So just throwing it out there, that'll probably get me banned from some platform for even uttering that concept. Um, speaking of crimes, Asheville, give yourself a pat on the back. Asheville is among America's most dangerous cities. Good job, guys. Really? 
Um, I mean, they really did step up, really put in the extra effort. Cities across the United States have been reporting a spike in gun violence and homicide during the COVID-19 pandemic. In the first six months of 2020, there was a nearly 15% increase in murders nationwide, according to 247wallstreet.com. They uh, took the FBI crime stats. This comes from, they put out this annual report, and I will give you what the uh, city leaders and police officials in all of these cities Whenever this, the FBI publishes the data from their uh, UC, was it Uniform Code of Reporting, UCR or something like that? Um, whenever they pu- uh, publish these data points that they collect from all of these police departments, you always inevitably have a ranking that occurs. And that's what this 24-7 Wall Street did. And they're like, look at this. This is the national average. Here are the cities that have higher than the national average. That makes them the most dangerous cities. And the local officials, you know, police chiefs, chambers of commerce, city councils and whatever, they all get up in arms about this. And they're like, you shouldn't be using this to, you know, compare us to other cities because there are different dynamics in each of the cities and blah, 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 blah. No, uh, I'm not comparing the city you know, that like Asheville to another city. I'm not comparing all of the dynamics and all of the implications and all that. I'm just comparing the crime rate. And Asheville has a higher crime rate. Sorry, it has a higher crime rate. What do you want me to do about that? I would not notice it, not make some sort of judgment based on that. It does. It has a higher crime rate. We're going to go over some of the numbers. <laughs> so um, let's see. Asheville ranks in the top 10% of most violent U.S. cities. I mean, if you're going to go for the, the brass ring, you might as well go, you know, go for it. Of all 50 states, North Carolina, it's about in the middle, though, 23rd highest violent crime rate. 23rd out of 50, North Carolina as a state. Asheville ranks as number 20 of the 92 cities in North Carolina that are home to at least 5,000 people, uh, according to this data. Asheville has about 93,000, 94,000 residents. Um, and so when they do these numbers, it's always based on a hundred thousand population. So it's pretty close to a hundred thousand population. So whatever our crime stats are, uh, that tends to be our rate (laughs) because our numbers are per hundred thousand and we're almost at a hundred thousand. So for example, there were six murders in 2019, six. Okay. So the national murder rate is five. So we per hundred thousand. So our six it's actually a little bit more because you got to extrapolate out to get to 100,000, so you have to add some. So we end up at like 6.3 or something like that. Anyway, 6 out of 100,000 versus 5 out of 100,000. So we're a little bit more murderous <laughs> in Asheville city limits than the nation at large. Now, I did find this interesting. Last night, the uh, Asheville City Council met, and they were having some debates and some fiscal matters, and they're talking about raising everybody t- uh, everybody's taxes. And the um, the Twitter feed of the Asheville G- AVL Gov is the hashtag, and a lot of people who you know watch the City Council they'll post on that uh, that stream. And um, it was it's always funny to watch these, the leftist anarchist LARPers, that's live action role players, like these are the people who are like, we're gonna burn the whole system down, you know? They're like crying on this Twitter feed about how the city is looking to raise taxes. (laughs) 
these are the same people that have been demanding free transit. They've been uh, they've been opposed to like all new development. They castigate the gentry in Asheville. Oh, those rich people. Uh, look at them. They want to defund the police. Right. These are the people that engage in the, the rioting and the vandalism. And now they're concerned that the taxes are going up. <laughs> Guys, like they're so close. Connect the dots. You're so close. You're also so close to old Grouch's military surplus. You realize that, right? It's not far. Downtown Clyde on Main Street. It's across the street from the anti-aircraft gun. And uh, the, t the shop is open Monday through Saturday. Tim will tell you the story uh, about the anti-aircraft gun. You can go take a look at it. It's pretty cool. Uh, he's got all sorts of real U.S. military surplus in stock. He can help you build first aid kits for your go bag, your prepper supplies. Or if you're a backpacker, a camper, fisherman, whatever, you go outdoors, you need a first aid kit. Okay? You need to be prepared. He's got ammo cans, backpacks, camp stoves, all sorts of stuff. Go check him out at Old Grouch's Real U.S. Military Surplus. OldGrouch.com is the website. That's OldGrouch.com. So Asheville's crime rate is higher than the national average, okay? Um, adjusted for population, our crime rate is over 7,000 incidents for every 100,000 people. So it's almost 7,100. 7,100 per 100,000. Okay, so that works out to be 7%, 7% incidents per 100 people. Okay, so if you want to kind of, I know numbers are never great to do, you know, uh, if you can't see them, it's like better, it's better to see them and visualize it than rather than just hear the numbers. So 7% incidents per 100,000. So seven incidents per 100 people. Okay, and uh, so think about that, like 100 people, what's 100 people? I don't know, the U.S. Senate. Okay, so out of the U.S. Senate, you got 100 people and seven of them are going to be involved in some sort of violent crime as a victim, at least. Okay, because these are incidents and an incident of crime is going to have uh, more than one victim. Right. So it's not it's not simply a one to one, but at least seven will be involved in an incident of some kind in that body in a year per year. Okay, so um, Asheville has one of the highest overall crime rates of any U.S. city. The national number is like 2,500 per 100,000 people. So our number is seven, the, and the national number is two and a half. <laughs> so we're really above the national average on overall crime. Okay, that's all the crimes. And the vast majority of crimes in America are property crimes. That's like 85% of all the crimes uh, in uh, 2019. In Asheville, it accounted for more, 89% of all offenses. So uh, and so, what, what that means is that our percentage or our proportion of, the, of crimes that are violent is actually lower than the national average, which is, I guess, good, right? If you're going to be the victim of a crime, I guess you would prefer it to be property versus personal. Right. I guess you'd rather have like your lawnmower stolen from your shed. Not that that's ever happened to me <clears throat> or your house burglarized, which, by the way, uh, I would say that should count as more of a violent crime that st that somebody uh, burglarizes your house. If you've never had your home burglarized, it's it's pretty bad. You come home and you find somebody has been in the house. You never are at peace at ease again. It's 
almost impossible. So um, anyway, so 89% of all the crimes in Asheville are property crimes. So that's a little bit higher of a proportion than the national average. Um, and so uh, then they break down these crimes. You got larceny, uh, you got burglary. So that's actually, uh, as a, th- that number in Asheville, 833 break-ins. Um, and that is like mm, twice as high uh, as the national average. So we have a lot of that going on. And as for violent crime, um, oh, and by the way, like for all of the, um, let's see here, yeah, all of the the property crimes numbers, like Asheville's twice as high as the national average everywhere. Uh, At 742 incidents for every uh, every 100,000 people, the violent crime rate in Asheville is twice as high as the national number. Um, And so that's concerning. (laughs) Aggravated assault is above the national average. Robbery above the national average. Murder above the national average. Rape, we average about one per week here in Asheville. That is also above the national average. So how does Asheville compare to other cities in the state? I am so glad you asked. I have that information right here. This is also from the the FBI's uh, database, their uniform was it uniform criminal reporting it's ucr I, I used to look at this thing every year anyway well this that was when i was a reporter down in charlotte and they would put the numbers out and charlotte was always at the top of the list but charlotte is not actually at the top of the list now charlotte is actually pretty low on the list kind of amazing you know what the you know what the most dangerous city is by these crime rates it's not Asheville. we're, we're pretty high but uh it's not Asheville. the number one I- oh here the number one is Pineville, which is in Mecklenburg County, Pineville, and uh, followed by, uh, and their rate is twice our rate, 13,000 incidents per 100,000 people. That's nuts. Um, Whiteville, they're at like 11,000. Then Forest City, Wadesboro, Williamston, and then Waynesville. Waynesville at like 7,400 followed by Reedsville and then Asheville at 7,000. So Waynesville is actually more dangerous than Asheville. Did you know that? That's kind of crazy. Goldsboro, Albemarle, Monroe, Laurenburg, Hillsboro, Dunn, Roanoke Rapids, Hope Mills, then Marion at 5,500 incidents. So just, you could do the math on this. It's, so when I say 5,500, that's going to be five and a half incidents per 100 people. Um, Hendersonville at five... 1,200, so 5.2. Um, let's see here. Let me skip down. Charlotte Mecklenburg is actually safer than Hendersonville when it comes to <laughs> crimes. Durham uh, is also right about the same level at like 45, 4,600. Then Greensboro, Fayetteville, all around 4,400. Uh, the state average is 2,700, though. 2.7. That's North Carolina's crime rate, 2.7 per 100. Okay. And Black Mountain is a little bit below the net of the state average at 2.4. Raleigh is at 2.0. So there you go. Crime stats. Asheville doing some good work. Do you think that has any connection to um, any of the, the defund the police stuff? Do you think that might have any kind of an impact whatsoever over the last year? I don't know. It's hard to, yeah, I mean, it's hard to really make that connection between a, 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 an uptick in violent crime Um and uh, all of the calls to eliminate the uh, the people who uh, help catch the criminals. Yeah, we, we may never know. We may never know what caused it. 
Um, and by the way, the crime rate had been, uh, I remember like in the 90s, the crime rate was much higher. It's been going down for the last 20 years, though, and now it's seeing a spike back up. And I don't know if this is sort of the natural cycle of things. That might be the case where, you know, you've got uh, people, get, people get lulled into this false sense of security. They think, oh, look at us where, you know, everything is all peaceful now and this is sort of the norm. And it's like, no, that's not the norm. Uh, we were actually for the last like 20 years, we've actually been in a very low period of violent crime and crime in general. Um, and you go back, you know, years prior, decades prior is much higher. And a, a lot of these criminologists and I've interviewed some over the years, they don't know. They, they have theories about why the crime rate has dropped, but they don't know. I've heard some that tie it to, you know, uh, lead paint not being in the paint in our walls, in our apartments and homes and such anymore. And so you're not breathing in all of the lead that rots your brain and makes you angry and you commit crimes, whatever. I've heard it tied to abortion, that you have people that are having abortions. And so they therefore uh, those pressures are not. Uh, part of their lives anymore or the people that would have engaged in the violence they're no longer they're not around like i've heard all sorts of, uh, of theories about this um there's also the connection obviously to increased law enforcement that stepped up uh in the 90s in response to the increased crime rates that we saw that's where you end up with you know joe biden and hillary clinton making all of these comments about super predators and all that right because their people were genuinely concerned about uh, high crime rates across America. And uh, they passed a whole bunch of legislation about it. They were throwing the book at everybody. And uh, that put a lot of people in prison. That's true. And then came the backlash to that. Now it's like, let everybody out. <laughs> and so now are we going to see an uptick in the violent crime? And then, you know, fast forward a decade or two, there will be more legislation, throw more people in jail. And this is the cycle we're in. I don't know. I kind of think maybe, but we'll see. Or not, I might be a victim of violent crime and I won't be around to see it. We shall see. Um, you shall see fantastic deals at Mattress Man. You know this is true. Go to mattressmanstores.com, check out the inventory, check out the deals. Oh, and while you're there, by the way, you can apply and get qualified for um, financing. So, like, Synchrony Finance offers zero down, zero interest for up to 72 months for qualified applicants. They've got tons of financing options. Uh, and so you can, uh, you can look, they, they want to work with you. They want to make sure that you get into a good bed because it's too important. It affects everything in your life. Getting a good night's sleep affects everything you do all day. So uh, no matter your credit, they want to help you, okay? Getting a good night's sleep is way too important to let past credit problems get in the way of better health. They've got lots of options, okay, like up to 24 months interest-free with no pre-qualifications. They even have options for people with no credit, okay, so and doesn't require any credit. Um, but they have synchrony finance, zero down, zero interest for up to three years for qualified applicants. Get pre-approved uh, at the website, and then when you walk in, peace of mind, and it just makes the whole process easier. I mean, they can help you in the store too, no doubt, but if you get pre-approved ahead of time, it's like a pre-approval letter when you're buying a home, you know? Uh, and right now, they've got free box springs with the purchase of a Biltmore Collection mattress. Biltmore Collection, inspired by our very own local landmark. Mattress Man is an exclusive retailer of the Biltmore Collection made by Restonic. And uh, just go on into any of their four stores, Asheville, Hendersonville, or Arden. Go to the website, mattressmanstores.com. Buy local and sleep better. 
All right, let me shift gears now because I'm not sure if it's actually occurred yet or not. It's pretty close to occurring as I'm recording this. It's pretty close, which is um, the removal of Liz Cheney from her post in the Republican Party House leadership. I know it's a big deal. (laughs) I so don't care. Well, it's not that I don't care. I find it interesting. Like, oh, look at that. They're ousting Liz Cheney. But... Everybody in, well, I guess, yeah, almost everybody in media, they, they're treating this thing like it is the biggest thing ever. Remember, you know, the House Freedom Caucus, our former Republican congressman from the mountains here, from North Carolina's 11th District, Mark Meadows, like he ousted John Boehner, <laughs> the Speaker of the House. This is not exactly new for Republicans to throw out their leaders every now and again. But um, this is now, you know, the civil war going on inside the Republican Party. Um, so this is I. So the Liz Cheney thing is it's just to me, it's sort of like a, it's a it's a way to to get into a larger topic. OK, uh, so, yes, I'm kind of interested in it, but not really. And I don't really care about why, like, like oh, she criticized Trump and that's why they're getting rid of her. And so the party is all Trump. Like, here's the thing, though, in leadership, um, if If you don't have the support, especially in her post, if you don't have the support of the rank and file and they're uninterested in working with you or listening to you, then that's a vote of no confidence and you're not an effective leader and you got to go. And that may stink for you and like, well, I'm standing on principles or whatever, but you're not an effective leader for that organization. So uh, maybe find another one, which some Republicans are looking to do. Apparently, this is from NBC News. More than 100 influential Republicans plan to release a call for reforms within the GOP alongside a threat to form a new party if change isn't forthcoming, a person familiar with the effort said. Influential Republicans, who might that be? Who do you think these influential Republicans are? Oh, I can't wait to find out. The statement is set to be released tomorrow, involves a, quote, call for American renewal. Okay. Um, it was first reported by Reuters and the influential Republicans that are reportedly involved are former New Jersey governor. No, not Chris Christie. It's Christine Todd Whitman. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, how about this one? Former Pennsylvania governor, Tom Ridge. Okay. How about this one? Former Transportation Secretary Mary Peters. Uh, how about Republican Representative Charlie Dent? Pennsylvania. Barbara Comstock of Virginia. Oh, no, no. Here we go. Reed Ribble of Wisconsin. Uh, Mickey Edwards from Oklahoma. Oh, no. Here we go. This is it. This is it. Evan McMullen. (laughs) Evan McMullen, the former CIA agent who ran for president as an independent in 2016, is also involved in the effort. And so is Anonymous. That guy, Miles Taylor, the former, you know, Trump official. The uh, hot, he's probably like a cabinet member. Remember all of that, all of that swirl around the anonymous op-ed writer, and it turned out that it was this dude, Miles Taylor, 
who wrote the op-ed in the New York Times ripping into the Trump administration. Dude was like a mid-level, and I'm being generous, mid-level bureaucrat. <laughs> and nobody even, he's like, it's Miles Taylor. And remember, he actually lied to CNN when they asked him at one point when he was on air. They said, are you anonymous? And he said, no, he denied it. So he lied to them. Now I think he's on their payroll. Um and he's like, you know, we're going to uh, we're going to burn it all down. He says enough is enough. And he's predicting a raging civil war if the rest of the party doesn't get on board. So that's that's kind of Trumpian, don't you think? These people are so similar to Trump. It really is astounding. Like, do you not see how similar you are to him? The things he just says these things in a cruder, crasser, rough around the edges kind of way. Right. He's not as diplomatic, not as political as you guys are about it. But you're saying the same thing. You're predicting a raging civil war if the party doesn't get on board. So so you're threatening them. You're threatening the party to do what you want. And if they don't, you're going to burn it all down. Isn't that kind of what you thought Trump was doing? Oh, I see. You're, you're going to have to match tactics with the guy. Is that the idea? Remember also. Civil wars only occur inside the Republican Party. Civil wars do not occur inside the Democratic Party, which, by the way, there's a don't call it a civil war in the Democratic Party right now, too. But it's not a civil war because you can't call it that. This is from The Hill. Democratic fissures. <laughs> That's what they call them over there. They're just fissures <laughs> or um, divides or let's see here. Uh, growing sniping. Um, they're at odds with each other and there's an issue sparking debate. Those are the, those are the, uh, the euphemisms that the Hill offers up rather than call it a civil war. Cause again, that only happens on the GOP side. Fissures within the democratic party are starting to open up after a three month period in which liberals and centrists showed impressive unity at the opening of Joe Biden's presidency in recent days and weeks, the divides in the party that have always been present have opened up over issues near and far from foreign policy to tax and spending issues that are central to Biden's domestic agenda. There is growing sniping over Biden's handling, his soft handling of the situation in Israel. This is always comical to me to watch the Democrats eat their own on uh, the Israeli-Palestinian thing, because you've got the uh, the squad, uh, you know, Rashida Tlaib and AOC and Ilan Omar and, and a whole bunch of other people that are like really, really anti-Israel. And then you've got Chuck Schumer, <laughs> who's pro-Israel. <laughs> and so, yeah, awkward, <laughs> kind of odd. Uh, centrists and liberals are also at odds over lifting a ceiling on the state and local tax. This is the SALT deduction, state and local tax, S-A-L-T, SALT deduction, which got capped at ten grand by the Trump tax cut bill. Uh, to pay for corporate tax cuts. The ceiling hit blue suburban districts hard, but progressives argue lifting the cap would help wealthy households, which it would, absolutely, which is why Democrats are so torn up. This why this civil war, sorry, this, uh, this fissure is occurring is because you've got you know, I call it the Elysium party, where if it's based on that movie Elysium, where you've got like this, you know, this really wealthy, like one percent. And then you have the rabble, <laughs> like really rich and really poor. No more middle class in the Democratic Party. Right. There's there's just this separation occurring. And so the salt tax is very important 
to or the yeah, the salt deduction is very important to those wealthy people. This is also, by the way, one of the ways that the blue states and their high taxes, uh, this is one of the ways that they get subsidized. They got to deduct the high taxes from their states on their federal tax returns. Does that make sense? Right. So when this so it, it actually incentivized states to jack up their tax rates, their income tax rates on uh, individuals, because then they could deduct those taxes off of the federal returns. So it was a national subsidy, basically, to states, to blue states for having high tax rates. And so when Trump and the Republicans got in power, they were like, let's cap that. You can't do that anymore. Ten grand. That's all you can deduct. And it sort of leveled the playing field. And I wonder if that has anything to do with why, you know, California and New York now lost, you know, congressional seats. You've got outflows of people, which, by the way, during the pandemic, I would point out that um, Buncombe County lost people, lost households, and they they basically moved to the surrounding areas. Same thing happened down in Charlotte, Mecklenburg as well. I'm sure it's coincidence. <laughs> well, OK, yes, to be fair, in New York. If Cuomo hadn't killed all those people in the nursing homes, then they probably would have kept their congressional seat because they only missed it by like 90 residents, 90 people, 90 citizens in their state. Like that's how close they came to keeping all of their congressional seats. Yeah. Um, Speaking of moving, if you are looking to move, then you need to uh, write down this number. It's 828-333-4483. That is the number for Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team. They'll get your house sold quickly and for more money. And if you're looking to buy a house, they have homes in all price points. Go to mountainhomehunt.com, check out the inventory, or give a call to Rowena at 333-4483. She's the official and only Homes for Heroes real estate agent in Asheville. Uh, This is the national program, and it gives buyers and sellers 25% back from the realtor commissions. This goes to police officers and firefighters, healthcare professionals, uh, educators, and members of the military, so veterans, active duty, retirees. Uh, She's given back about $800,000 to local folks in those professions. So keep more of your own money if you're in one of those professions and you're buying or selling a home. Call Rowena today, 828-333-4483, or go to the website, mountainhomehunt.com, and then start packing. Liz Cheney may be done with former President Donald Trump, but her ouster from House Republican leadership is a clear sign, party insiders say, that the GOP isn't done with Trump. This is the story by Alan Smith and Sahil Kapoor at NBC News. Quote, the calculation is that the party will be better off in the midterm elections embracing Trump than running from him, even if it means further alienating the kind of suburban voters who handed Democrats victories in 2018 and 2020. Quote, removing Liz Cheney from leadership will give a boatload of ammunition to the GOP's critics, said Witt Ayers, a Republican pollster. (laughs) So (laughs) I love this idea that the Republican Party is supposed to govern itself and behave in a way that makes it um, harder for its critics to attack it. Like, do you guys say the same thing about Democrats? No, they never say the same thing about Democrats. With this, when it's, again, this is one of the rules of journalisming, right? Which is that uh, when a scandal involves a Democrat, then the story is the Republican reaction to the scandal. You better not overreach. They're seizing on this information. They're they're pouncing on Democrats, right? Operation CZ Pounce, that's what I always call it. Republicans are always framed in that way 
when the scandal, and by you know scandal, I mean any story that is sort of negative about the Democratic Party, scandals included, yes, but uh, when you have uh, issues or events that cast Democrats in a negative light and Republicans point that out, they are seizing on the issue, right? They're pouncing on this current event in order to make Democrats look bad. <laughs> but when it's the other way around, well, then the story is the scandal. If it's involving a Republican, then that's the story. It's the same. This is the same uh, sort of uh, model that's at play here. When Democrats do stuff inside their own ranks, when they're having fights over things, well, they're just fissures, right? They're just, uh, it's just, you know, this thing is spark debate inside of the party, right? When they, when they want to oust somebody, they want to remove people or whatever, they, they have a dressing down, something like that occurs, right? It, it's never indicative of some larger issue. No, not at all, right? Um, and they never are framed as when they take positions or do stuff, they're never, it's never framed like, oh, they're giving Republicans boatloads of ammo. It's just, you know, they're, they're doing something for a noble cause. They're doing it for justifiable, pure reasons, honest, good faith efforts, that sort of thing. It's always the baked in assumption. You're going to hear this in a second. So removing Liz Cheney, uh, Republicans plan to uh, uh, kick her out. She may already be out as I'm recording this podcast. She may already may have been removed. Um, she, and this is the number three position. OK, it's number three um, in a move to demote the highest ranking Republican who voted to impeach Trump earlier this year. Uh, she vo- she has vocally criticized Trump's, quote, big lie that the election last year was stolen. And by the way, this big lie the the use of that term is a, is insulting and defensive and the fact that this nazi propaganda has infected and that's what it is and i'm not being like hyperbolic here that's it's literally nazi propaganda okay when you when you hear people refer to it as the big lie that's what the nazis called it and uh, the the big lie and i'll get to that in a second but this has now infected all of the quote mainstream media this legacy media coverage and it indicates how deeply entrenched the leftist assumptions on all of these stories are like their narratives are the foundation upon which all of these stories get built so this guy Whit Ayers a Republican pollster uh, he said that efforts to exile Cheney the highest ranking Republican woman in Washington and the daughter of former Vice President Dick Cheney could further antagonize suburban voters particularly college educated women who ditched the party because of their opposition to Trump do you really think that's the case I mean honestly <laughs> who's saying like I don't know if they remove Liz Cheney from that number three party leadership post. I mean, I'm I can't vote for a party that would do that. Really? Who, like, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to conjure up an image of the people who actually care about that and and how that might actually be used against the Republicans. In another year and a half in a congressional general election <laughs> in a state that's not wyoming <laughs> where people i don't care about liz cheney being in the number three post in the republican party i don't care i i don't think many people do anyway um republicans like house minority leader kevin mccarthy and senate uh yeah senator lindsey graham of south carolina said the party's priority has to be to keep trump supporters energized and on their side they worry that any rejection of him including his groundless claims about the election could demotivate some of his supporters from backing gop candidates next year correct 
Yes. See, here's the thing. For folks who aren't aware, <clears throat> there is there is a pretty high level of animosity inside the Republican Party among not just Trump supporters, but a lot of grassroots activists who have been told for decades that, you know, after the primary is over, they got to suck it up. And for unity's sake, they got to go along with the nominee. They got to support the nominee of the party in the general election. And, you know, sorry, your grassroots uh, candidate didn't clear the primary. Uh, we won. We're the, you know, the quote unquote establishment. This has been going on for a long time. So now you got to, you know, fall in line behind our person for unity. Well, what happens when the grassroots finally get their people through the primary? Well, a lot of the establishment people stay home or even worse, right? They go and form a new party of sorts. They form the Lincoln Project. They're like, "Ooh, we don't want that person representing us. And so then they bail. So they do the very thing that they told the grassroots people, don't you do this. And the grassroots activist folks are kind of tired of it. <laughs> just just a heads up there. <clears throat> so um, this is from, who's this? Lindsey Graham. I would say to my Republican colleagues, can we move forward without President Trump? The answer is no, he told Sean Hannity on Fox News. I've always liked Liz Cheney, but she's made a determination that the Republican Party can't grow with President Trump. And I've determined we can't grow without him. That's that's the choice here. And, uh, you know, Cheney has been going out and, you know, at every opportunity, you know, talking about Donald Trump's lies and we got to kick him out of the party and all of this. And so she has made this, you know, part of her leadership. And guess what? The party doesn't agree with you. <laughs> so you're going to get voted out if she hasn't already uh, been. So um, Kevin McCarthy apparently got caught in an uh, in a what he thought it was a, a microphone that was off as a hot mic recording obtained by Axios, where he said, I have had it with her, which, by the way, you know, there is the other possibility here is that there are people inside the Republican leadership in the House that, uh, that, that they, they don't like the way she keeps distracting from the targets here, which are the Democrats. Like, you guys need to be focusing on the Democratic Party rather than this constant obsession with Trump. He's out of office already. Like, talk about a derangement syndrome, right? Train your fire on the people who are actually engaged in the current destruction. Stop fighting the fight from the last four years. It's over. That is done, right? That is done. Start focusing on the people that are taking actions right now and trying, you know, try to win enough seats in the next upcoming election rather than fighting the last election. Um Somebody here is quoted as saying it's a poop show, something that should never have happened. Um, I think this is an aid anonymous. I think it's dumb when we always try to claim that we're this big party, that we're pushing out somebody who has a slightly different opinion. It's absurd. Another Republican congressional aide said that Cheney was likely to be removed because she keeps publicly disagreeing with Kevin McCarthy, not because of her criticism of Trump and that this is all distracting from anti-Biden messaging. By the numbers, by the way, Cheney has an edge over um, what's her face, Stefanik, who is apparently going to be uh, the the heir apparent, Elise Stefanik. Yeah, Cheney's got a higher score from Heritage Action, uh, eighty to forty eight percent. Also, um, Liz Cheney voted with President Trump ninety three percent of the time. Uh, Stefanik only seventy eight percent of the time. And they and the uh, Club for Growth. 
Uh, they've been an opponent of Stefanik replacing Cheney. Uh, the club for growth calls her a liberal. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> yeah, uh, it really is amazing. Disproportionate. The big lie media coverage. This is a great piece at uh, Fourth Watch. This is a, a newsletter covering media, news, and perspective by Steve Krakauer, who was a former CNN senior digital editor. And uh, he talks about this big lie. And um, he says there is a conflation, um, and he connects it here. He like gives the background, like this is from Nazi propaganda. And he says, uh, there's this conflation of the fact that some Republican politicians were planning to object to the election results in Pennsylvania and other states prior to the January 6th riot. And others still did after the riot. This is now portrayed as a sign that they were refusing to accept the election results or were claiming some sort of election fraud lie. And that's not the case. Politicians in both parties have objected to the election results in every single recent presidential election. Democrats did it in 2016. Objecting triggers discussion and then the results are certified. I should also note, he says, that all politicians lie. It's what they do. And if the media decided to stop booking politicians and pundits who lie, we would be left with reporters talking to each other. And uh, they lie, too, by the way. Just pointing that out. The big lie is a term that originated from Adolf Hitler's book Mein Kampf. And it is shorthand for the basis that Hitler used for the Holocaust. Okay, it is as hyperbolic as you can get. All right. And it's being used now uh, by the president. It's being used by the media. Liz Cheney is using it all the time. And everybody should stop equating anything surrounding this with the Holocaust immediately. Just stop. All right, that is a wrap for the episode. Thank you very much for listening. I do appreciate it. And remember, go to thepetecalendarshow.com and click the subscribe button, and then uh, you will get the free podcast every day right to your smartphone or tablet. Thepetecalendarshow.com. I'll talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone. 